0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. My name's Adam and I'm part of the Ridge team here in Morgantown. We are in a two-part series called The Art of Neighboring and today we're going to hear from Pastor Josh Rhodes as he lays out the biblical case for being great neighbors who make a difference where God has placed us. We hope that this talk will encourage and inspire you as you continue to grow in your relationship with God and others. good morning or afternoon or evening if you're watching this service at another time. If we haven't connected before, my name's Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Great to be together. Well, I grew up uh, here in West Virginia in a pretty typical neighborhood. We had a small front yard, a decent-sized backyard where we played every sport imaginable, football, you know, frisbee, baseball, you name it. In fact, in the early 90s, when the movie Mighty Ducks came out, some of you might remember that, some of you need to look it up, uh, we became huge hockey fans but didn't have anywhere to play because our street kind of had a slope. So we rigged our lawnmower to cut it on the lowest possible setting, like a quarter of an inch, and would play hockey in the backyard. And as the saying goes, it's all fun and games until someone gets hurt or you lose your ball on your neighbor's roof. And time and time again, we'd be playing with something and there it goes up on the Kelly's roof. And and our yard was positioned in such a way that we could see on top of their flat roof. And after a few days, it would be littered with our balls. And finally, one of us would have to muster the courage to go to Mr. Kelly's door and knock on the door. And and by this point, you're probably picturing me as like five-year-old Josh, Dennis the Menace, you know, Mr. Kelly's probably the cranky, irritated Mr. George Wilson. It actually wasn't like that. Uh, we would always get it in our head that he was going to be so mad, but we would go over and knock on the door. Mrs. Kelly would usually answer, is Mr. Kelly home? Yes? Can he get the balls down? I mean, every time, every few days. And he would go and get his long wooden ladder. I don't even know if they make them like that anymore. Lean it up against the side of the garage. Take his time climbing up. And then he would throw each and every ball back to us. It was like Christmas. You know, they're all back. And then we would just do it again. Now, I still have fond memories of growing up next to the Kellys. And you, you would think with great neighbors like that, Uh, our parents were very warm and welcoming to our neighbors. You know, I was taught to love your neighbor. I have taught to love your neighbor. Uh, So you would think that this has just kind of come naturally and easily for me to love the people nearest me, but it hasn't. It's actually been a bit of a challenge for me over the years. Um, Right now in our current neighborhood, and I'll share a little bit about that later, we have been more intentional and And a lot of our neighbors have become like family, but for many years, I just wasn't intentional. I was the guy who would come home after a long day, turn off the car and get inside as quickly as possible. I would carry on a brief conversation to not appear rude, but it didn't typically go much further than that. And as I look back on a a number of different places that we lived, I feel like I missed a lot of tremendous opportunities to make an impact in people's lives, and more importantly, to make an impact for Christ in their life. And maybe me describing this right now, you, you might think about the opportunities that maybe you have missed as well. Today we're starting this new two-week series called The Art of Neighboring. Um, it's it's uh, based on a book, really helpful book, uh, by pastors Jay Pathick and Dave Runyon, it's been a challenging book for me. I read it a few years ago and have continued to come back to it. It's based on the Bible. It's also based on their experiences kind of going from not so great neighbors to, to really involved neighbors. And they open up their book with a chapter called, Who is My Neighbor? And they write this. When Jesus was asked to reduce everything in the Bible into one command, he said, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. What if he meant that we should love our actual neighbors? You know, the people who live next door. The problem is that we have turned this simple idea into a nice saying. We put it on bumper stickers and T-shirts and go on with our lives without actually putting it into practice. The fact is, Jesus has given us a practical plan that we can actually put into practice, a plan that has the potential to change the world. The reality is, though, that the majority of Christians don't even know the names of most of their neighbors. Now, this was written 10 years ago, and, and I think it's still true for us today. How, how does that quote strike you? Is it challenging? Is it inspiring? Maybe a little bit of both. Both. I imagine for some of you, you're like, man, I'm so excited we're going to be talking about this for two weeks. That's because you're probably the neighbor we all wish we had. You probably smile and wave and go out of your way, and you're probably the person that really is making a tremendous impact, and that's awesome. I hope you still get something out of this over the next few weeks. But I would imagine that a lot of you are already thinking about the challenges or obstacles or maybe even excuses to do something like this well. Like the fact that you already feel stretched for time. How can you fit in more relationships or more activities? Or you, or you maybe you like people. You wouldn't call yourself a people person, but you like people enough, but you're just not outgoing and you're not sure how to go about that. Or maybe you don't have very many neighbors where you live or you wish you could actually just switch out your neighbors and start over, right? They might think that about you, but I'm not sure. Um, There's a number of reasons. There's a number of reasons why this is challenging, and I honestly get all of it because I've been there and there's still times where I am there. And we're actually gonna take next week to talk through some of those challenges and obstacles and talk more about some practical ideas that we can put into place, So don't miss next week. But this week, I just wanna go back to the basics and look what Jesus said about being a neighbor to our neighbors. And this is something that he taught long before Fred Rogers and his neighborhood, right? This goes way back. And what I hope we walk away with today is this, that loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself includes your actual neighbors, that loving our neighbor is big and it does include everyone, but it's also small and it does include our actual neighbors who we tend to skip over or maybe something doesn't go so well so we write them off or we just tell ourselves, I'll connect with them later, I'll connect with them later, I'll help later, but we never actually do it. So today, whether you live in an apartment, dorm, townhouse, city block, subdivision or rural setting, whether your experience with neighbors has been great, good, bad or indifferent, however you're a wired, extrovert, introvert, introvert, or no matter your age, whether you're five hearing this message or all the way on the other side, this message is for you. And I pray that our hearts would be soft and open to receive God's word today because it matters. We're not just talking about being nice people. We're not just talking about being good neighbors. We're talking about something so much more important because whether we realize it or not, whether we see it or not, whether we know it or not, most people right around us are hurting right now. Can we all agree it's been a long few years? People are hurting, they feel hopeless, they're not optimistic for the future and they need help. There's probably someone right around you who needs some really practical help. They need something fixed and some of you are fixtures. Someone near you might need a meal Someone right nearby is just so desperate for a friend that they can trust. Someone that that is right near you needs a safe place where they can go and just sit on a porch and be heard. And and I know this that there are so many people who need help spiritually. But unfortunately, a lot of the Christians that they know are either pushy or over the top or maybe just a little bit weird. They need people who claim the name of Christ and then actually do what they say they believe. They need people who name the name of Christ and who are willing to stop what they're doing to help. And the reason why I know my neighbors need help and your neighbors need help is because I need help. I'm a person too and you're a person too and there's times where we're hurting, there's times where we feel hopeless, there's times where we need help. I need people to smile and wave at me. And I need neighbors who will lend a tool. And I need neighbors who will sit and listen. So today is so much more important than being a good neighbor or being a good person. It is doing what Jesus told us to do in practical and tangible and at times costly ways. So the passage we're going to look at today is Luke chapter 10. 25 to 37. It's a fascinating back and forth exchange between a religious leader and Jesus. And in this exchange, he includes what we would call the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, if you're new to church or new to God, you might not have heard that parable yet, but I'm sure you've heard the phrase Good Samaritan. It's the person who stops to help someone fix their tire. Uh, Or maybe you've heard about the Good Samaritan laws that we actually have here in West Virginia, where you're able to help someone in an emergency and not be held liable if it doesn't work out. So this is something that's a part of our culture and it comes from this passage. So let's jump in. Luke chapter 10, 25 says this. Just then an expert in the law stood up to test him saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus asked him. He asked him, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your your strength and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself you've answered correctly. He told him, do this and you'll live. So this passage begins with a religious leader. He was an expert. He was a sharp guy. And he comes to test Jesus, which unfortunately, this is something that they often tried to do. They tried to trap him uh, and trip him up on his words. And he asked this question about inheriting internal life. Which was the same question, if you remember, the rich young ruler asked Jesus later on in Luke's gospel. And it was a very popular question to ask rabbis at that time. So knowing this was a test, Jesus turned it back on him. And he asked him two questions. What's written in the law? How do you read it? The man answered Jesus by quoting two important Old Testament verses. Deuteronomy 6.5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then Leviticus 19, 18, do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the, ex- the, the religious man's answer probably sounds familiar to you because there were a few times where the religious leaders asked Jesus, what's the most important thing? What's the greatest commandment? And in Matthew 22 and in Mark 12, Jesus said, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself, which is to say, treat people the way you want to be treated. The golden rule, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So Jesus affirmed his answer of loving God and loving others, but doing it perfectly and doing it all the time, which the problem was that man and none of us can do perfectly. We fall short, which is why we need a Savior. So at this point, he answered Jesus correctly. And if he was coming from a genuine place, he would have said, well, Jesus, if that's the most important thing, to, to love God with everything I've got and to love my neighbors the way that I want them to love me, help me get better at this, Jesus. But that's not his heart. That's not the place he was coming from. It goes on to say, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? I mean, you can almost hear the tone, right? Well who's my neighbor? I'll note here that the New Testament Greek word for neighbor is placeon, and it literally means near, near to, or close by. And it's when it, when it's used in the New Testament, it's expanded to include everyone. The word study dictionary says that neighbor in the biblical sense does mean a fellow man, any other member of the human family. So biblically speaking, a neighbor is not an either-or, pick-and-choose. It is everyone. Our neighbor is the war-torn family in Ukraine who continues to suffer. Our neighbor are the families in Kentucky who have lost everything in recent floods. Our neighbor is the child who needs help getting school supplies to start the year off well. And our neighbor is also the person who lives next door or just down the road. Our actual neighbors are also our neighbors. So if this is true, do we get to pick and choose who and when we neighbor? In the book, Art of Neighboring, Dave and Jay make this observation about the man. It's important to note the statement he wanted to justify himself. The man wanted to define this word neighbor in such a way that he could not be found blameworthy. If his neighbor was someone he could choose, then he'd be okay. By asking Jesus to define the word neighbor, this man was looking for a loophole. Think about it. Are we also trying to find a loophole in what Jesus said is the most important thing for us to live out? He was looking for a way out. He was looking for an excuse to include these people, but not these people. And that word jumps off the page at me, loophole, because I can think about seasons where even in church work, I'm like, well, I've been serving all day and I've been pouring into people. I, I just wanna come home and go inside and not think. I'm tired. I just wanna go inside and not deal with any more issues. And if I talk to my neighbor, they're probably gonna have an issue, right? This loophole that I know is something I've done. So knowing this man's motives... How did Jesus respond to his question of who's my neighbor with a story, a story that would have shocked this man? So the passage continues in 10 verse 30. It says, Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Now, a little bit of context. This road from Jerusalem to Jericho was very dangerous. Uh, This was a difficult journey. Now, here in West Virginia and surrounding areas, we've got some crazy roads, do we not? Some crazy roads, some back roads, some potholes. This was worse. Twists and turns, a a drop from 3,000 feet, and robbers would hide along the way looking for innocent people to attack. The average person can walk about 20 to 30 miles, but this was treacherous, this was difficult. So they had to put inns, little hotels along this road so people could take a break along the way. So in the story, a man's attacked, robbed, and left for dead. This wouldn't have been a surprise to the listeners because they knew, yeah, you just don't wanna go on that road, especially at night, or you're gonna get attacked. But the hero certainly was The surprise. So Jesus' first name's a priest, a representative from God, someone who knew the commands, someone who you would expect would would see someone in dire need and drop everything to help, but he didn't. And then it says a Levite who assisted the priest in the temple, also someone who knew the commands, you would expect would be the first to stop everything, but he passed on by. And if you've heard this story before, maybe you're just kind of numb Okay, there goes the priest, there goes the Levite. But think about it. Jesus in his story was saying there was a man who was left for dead. And the people who should have acted, the people who knew better, did nothing. They did nothing. Jesus doesn't say why they didn't stop. Some Bible commentators think they chose not to help because it might make them unclean for their temple duties or perhaps they were in a hurry to get home because this passage says that they were going from Jerusalem towards Jericho the priests and the levite were not on their way to the temple they were on their way back home so maybe they were tired after being away for a few weeks or months and they just wanted to get back or maybe they knew that that robber would still be hiding out and they didn't want to put themselves in harm's way or maybe they just knew if i stop this is going to cost me it's going to cost me time i'm probably going to get blood on my shirt It's going to mess up my plans. I'm just going to keep going. All of the reasons why I don't know that I would have stopped. And then Jesus rocks the man's world. A Samaritan is the one who saw, served, and loved the man in need. A Samaritan. And that might not mean much to us, but at that time, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. The Samaritans had a mixed ancestry between Jewish and Gentile descendants, and and the Jews just looked on that with disdain, with great contempt. So this would have been a shock to the man. So after telling this jaw-dropping story, Jesus asks the man a question that he probably had a hard time answering. He probably had to swallow, you know, gulp down to get it out. So 1036 says, which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Now, I know emojis didn't exist in the Bible, but if Luke was able to use emojis at the time, I'm gonna guess he would have put this in the text. I mean, this is how the religious man would have been thinking like, mind blown. That doesn't happen, Jesus. That's not the neighbor. My people are the neighbor. No more questions asked. So, what was Jesus communicating in this story? Be a good person, be a good Samaritan. I think it's so much more. Scholar Walter Elwell, I think, summarizes correctly the depth of what Jesus was saying. He says this, the irony of the story is that the one not considered worthy to be called neighbor by Jews was precisely the one who showed himself to be neighbor to the victim. The parable reveals Jesus' own understanding of neighbor and what love of neighbor demands. Jesus sets no limitation on who qualifies as the neighbor commanded by God to be loved. To love your neighbor as yourself is not a pick and choose either or. It is everything. It's loving the people who are like us and love us and loving the people who don't like us and don't love us. It's the people who live far away and it's the people who live nearby. It's the times that are easy and fun and rewarding and life-giving and it's the times that are costly and difficult. The expert in the law learned that he could not pick and choose who, how, and when to love his neighbor as himself. And neither can we. So Jesus' great commandment of loving God and our neighbor, I think the reason why these go hand in hand, the reason why it's two sides of the same coin is because if we are growing in our relationship with God and loving him with all of our heart, all of our mind and all of our strength, all of our being, then we will begin to love what God loves. We will love who God loves God loves the person across the country. God loves the person across the state, across the city, and across the street. Which goes back to our takeaway, that loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself includes your actual neighbors. We tend to leave them out because we know they're gonna be there tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So we wanna pick and choose, but we can't. Now, if we're going to take the great commandment seriously, and not theoretically or metaphorically, you know, just be a neighbor, I'm beginning to realize that loving my actual neighbors is the best place to start. And it's also the best place for me to spend most of my time because I'm there all the time. I know you have work neighbors and travel sports neighbors and, and class neighbors and all of that, but we're talking about where you live and sleep and breathe and spend a lot of your time And here's the thing, you can't neighbor my neighbors. That's only something that I can do because I live there. And I can't neighbor your neighbors because God has placed you there. And regardless of where we live and how long we think we're gonna live there, maybe you just moved here this week or you know you're only gonna be here a few more years. If we believe that God is sovereign, then we can believe that God has placed us strategically where we are. For some of you, where he's placed you is easy and life-giving and you've got great people around. And for some of you, it's hard. But God doesn't make mistakes. He's placed you where he wants you. So how can we apply this? Because I can't imagine any of us are gonna be traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho and find a guy on the side of the road, right? That's probably not our application today. But I do think there's an application that has been very impactful to me. In Dave and Jay's book, Art of Neighboring, They include uh, this image I want to show you. They call it their tic-tac-toe board. And I know this doesn't look like your house or your neighborhood, but you get the idea that, that this represents where we live. So imagine with me that you are in the center, that that represents your home. And the eight surrounding homes represent the people who live nearest you. And I want you to try to picture those units, whether they're townhouses or apartments, whatever it is, just try to see them right now. If you live in dense quarters, you you probably can name more than eight or see more than eight. If you're in a more rural setting, that might be a stretch because there might only be one or two that you can see. But try to picture this right now, where God has placed you. And let me ask you a couple of questions. So the gray house across the street with young kids, do you know their name? The townhouse with an SUV that seems to leave early and come home late, do you know their name? The apartment that plays their music a little louder than you would prefer, do you know their name? Perhaps some of you do, perhaps some of you know some, perhaps some of you know no one. And this exercise isn't meant to guilt us or shame us. It's just meant to help us see that God has placed us strategically where he wants us. Whether it's in a townhouse complex, an apartment complex, a rural setting, a subdivision, God doesn't make mistakes. I love what Javen and Dave remind us. They say, before we attempt to love everyone on the face of the planet, let's love our literal neighbors. And to love someone, it helps to actually know their name. That's just a great place to start, a foundational place to start because when you know a person's name, you can wave and smile and greet them by name instead of what I did for years. It was, hey man, hey girl, hey bud, hey bro. It's amazing the, the things we replace their names with, right? We just keep coming up with more of them. We can pray for them by name. We can drop off cookies or, or something from the garden or a get well package with a note by name, We can invite them over to a bonfire or a meal by name. And when we need help, we can go knock on the door and greet them by name and ask for the help we need. I have found it amazing over the last few years how knowing, remembering, and using someone's name quickly, I mean quickly, turns them from this anonymous stranger just behind that door to a real person who God really loves and who Jesus really died for and who has a story and has ups and has downs. They, they go from being a stranger to a real person who I can begin to love. So like I said, this tic-tac-toe board, it's, it's been a great resource for me. If you ever pick up a hard copy of the book, uh, they give a, a blank one and they challenge you, you know, as you learn names, begin to write them down, find a way to remember them, find a way to use them so we thought that this would be a helpful resource to you. So if you go to the Ridge.Church neighbor, we're gonna give you some, some downloads. You can download this image. Um, uh, you could print out, put it on a fridge. Um, we also have a screen lock for your phone. I've got it saved on mine, just as a, a way to remember this. If you're here in person, we have uh, a magnet that you can put on the fridge. We also have a sticker version for a laptop, water bottle, wherever you wanna put these. But we wanna equip you with this just as a way to remember, just as a way to remember that God doesn't make mistakes. And you may only be where you're gonna be for another six months or another few years, or you may be there for the rest of your life, but God has placed you where he wants you. The question is, will we take the great commandment seriously? The question is, will we take time to just learn a person's name and then begin to serve them and over time begin to love them as God has loved us. My wife Hillary and I, um, we got married in 2006. And like many of you, we've had a lot of moves. So we've lived in apartments, we lived in townhouses, we lived in someone's basement for a while. That was a pretty sweet gig. Um, And and then about three years ago, um, we're in our house, which Lord willing will be our forever home here in Morgantown. And when we moved into our house, I, rem- I remember the conversation clearly with Hillary, and I was like, Look what God has given us. He's given us enough space because we have a million kids, and we have a, a, an area where they can safely ride their bikes, and there's like some woods that they can go explore and get out of the house. I really thought at that time that God had brought us to that house for the house. I was so wrong. It was for the people. It was for the neighbors who have become like family. And we have been purposeful. We have been intentional to get to know many of them. And we don't do it perfectly, but we extend regular invitations for either a couple or a family to come over for dinner because more than one at a time is kind of overwhelming. We can handle one other family and share a meal. We love to post in our neighborhood page about bonfires or movie nights, you know, and just, hey, come on out. Um, we look for ways to drop off goodies on porches, or if someone's sick, hey, can I grab you anything? And, and then over the last few years, we've been hosting neighborhood church gatherings in our neighborhood where we stream this service and kind of gather together, and, and it's been wonderful. But I will tell you this, so many of my neighbors have done more and have taught me more about neighboring than I know I have. And I could te- take the next hour to tell you some of those stories, but some examples that come to mind Mike will let me use his John Deere tractor anytime I don't want to push mow my yard. He just knows. I'm probably coming every few months because I don't have the energy. Rachel has given us eggs, sugar, barbecue sauce, buns. I mean, we basically shop at her house. It's great. Jacqueline has babysit on many occasions, some of which were planned, but most of the time not, because they just wander into her house and then, oh, she's babysitting now. This is great. Chris has given me rides when one of our cars were in the shop. John and Kathleen have recently brought back souvenirs for our kids from vacation. Sam is quick to collect all of the balls off of his deck and throw them back. Sound familiar? And as I've shared before, we've been a foster family for about nine months now with the same placement, two awesome brothers. And so many of our neighbors cook meals and run laundry and just jump in. And I'll tell you, I don't know if we would still be at it without them. It's not easy, but they support us and they keep us strong. And if you've been neighboring really well, like my neighbors, or today's message is what you've needed to kind of get started, you've got to realize that the art of neighboring isn't free. It will come with a cost. Just like the Good Samaritan. What did it cost him? It cost him time, energy, energy. Comfort, convenience, money. I mean, it was costly, but look at the impact that he had. I firmly believe that God has uniquely placed all of us where we are. The question is, will we do it? And I've been dreaming about today for months, literally. Because when I look back on where I was and where I am now, my life is different with neighbors. Neighbors. And I want that for you. And your neighbors need you. Right now, there is a single parent hanging on by a thread and you could be their lifeline to offer to babysit, to just get to know them. There are elderly folks who don't have family around who want someone to just come and sit and talk. There are people who are searching for God. Maybe they're afraid to walk into a church building or they try to read a Bible and it just makes no sense. You could be the person to not shove it down their throat, but to actually just put it on display. Imagine if hundreds, if thousands of us were doing that. Just imagine. I believe our community would be different. I really do. And as I think about what God has done in our little piece of the world, I just want that for everyone. And I realize it's going to look different where you live and God's going to use you differently than he'll use me. But I believe that we can change this world one neighbor at a time and one neighborhood at a time. So I want to invite you to go on this journey with us, grab a magnet, grab a sticker, download that thing for your phone, keep it in front of you and just say, God, would you help me see my neighbor's Would you give me an open door to connect with them and serve them and love them like you have loved me? And church, I believe we'll look back in a few years as more and more of us do this and we will see tremendous change. And more importantly, I believe we'll see more and more people come into a relationship with God. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you. Thank you, God, that you have placed us where we are. Whether we love where we are or we want to be somewhere different, God, would you just help us believe that you have us where you want us? Would you give us strength? Would you give us courage? Would you give us energy just to reach out, to learn a name, to share a meal, to meet a need? And God, we're not just doing this to be good people or good neighbors. We're doing this because you have loved us. And if we love you, we will love who you love. So God, help us this week as we go. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridgechurch/messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.